Hi, and welcome to a very short introduction. From ancient Greece to branding, globalisation to Homer, and logic to fashion, we'll showcase a concise and dynamic insight into a range of diverse topics for wherever your curiosity may lead you. So here is today's very short introduction. Hello, my name is Brian Shayette. I work at the University of Reading as a Professor of Literature and Culture, and I have fellowships in many UK universities and have travelled widely to universities outside of Europe. Many of my books have been on the way that racist and anti-Semitic images have saturated literary fiction since the 19th century. My focus has been on literary texts, as I wanted to show that literature does not just humanise and make us better people, as many assume, but on the contrary, that works of the imagination that are supposed to improve us also reinforce racism. The main takeaway point of my research is that racism is not just on the margins of society, but is at the heart of our liberal culture. In other words, it's not just a few individuals who are particularly extreme. Racism and anti-Semitism is part of the air that we all breathe. Because of this, we need to treat these forms of bigotry as a routine question to be addressed by everyone, not just a few anti-racist specialists or activists. The title of my very short introduction is The Ghetto. I became interested in this subject because of my previous research, but also for personal reasons. My father was born in the East End of London and was a so-called child of the ghetto. My mother was born in Ireland, near to Dublin, where she had many friends who lived in Dublin's so-called Little Jerusalem. Both were fortunate to be able to escape their respective ghettos. There are two main ways of understanding what a ghetto is. First, there is a hard definition which thinks of the ghetto as a compulsory segregated and enclosed space. That's a standard definition, compulsory, segregated and enclosed. But secondly, there's a softer definition, much less precise, of the ghetto. And this is as a defined space for the urban poor or new migrants in our large cities. The main difference between the harder and softer definitions is that there's always a possibility of escaping a deprived urban area, the soft ghetto. But compulsory, segregated and enclosed spaces are forms of legal or quasi-legal confinement, the hard ghetto. So when we talk about ghettos, they include both the softer definition of urbanisation and class definition, as well as the harder definition of racial segregation, which can, I fully admit, be confusing. But it's this confusion, in a way, that was one of the reasons for writing the book, so I could help clear up that confusion. Writing on the ghetto over 500 years certainly brings in the history of racism and anti-Semitism as a routine question in Western culture. Historically, there are three main types and places where the ghetto and racial discrimination are one and the same. Firstly, ghettos originated 
in Italy from the 1500s until the late 1800s, and this is called the Age of the Ghetto. The word ghetto did not apply to compulsory enclosed and segregated Jewish quarters until 1516, when the ghetto in Venice, the very first ghetto, was formed. And you may well have been part of the celebrations of 500 years of the Venice ghetto uh, a few years ago now. Ghetto derived from the Venetian dialect meaning to pour, as in molten or melted copper. It referred to a municipal copper foundry on the northern outskirts of Venice, known as the New Ghetto, where initially 500 Jews, eventually several thousands, were forced to live and were housed from dusk until dawn. So this copper factory was defunct, but it was part of an island where there were only two entries to it, and these were patrolled from dawn until dusk by Venetians on their boats, and the residents of the ghetto had to pay for this. A third ghetto was formed in Venice in 1633, so there were three ghettos in all. But the third and last ghetto in 1633, next to the original island foundry, was particularly significant, because with the formation of this third ghetto, the word ghetto changed from a noun indicating a specific district to an adjective describing a place in general where Jews were forced to live. The third ghetto was not part of the island, it was next to the island. By the 17th century, the word ghetto was no longer just associated with an unknown island in Venice. Although it became a widespread term in Italy, the word was not used in German, French or English to any extent until the 19th century. So the word had a long gestation period. The second main era of ghettoization was Nazi ghettoization in Eastern Europe during World War II. By the 20th century, the idea of the ghetto had travelled from Italy throughout Europe and the United States. So essentially from Western Europe to Eastern Europe and from Western Europe to the United States. By this time, the word had a large number of associations. Was it about present-day urban segregation or a past which had been overcome? The idea that minorities, first of all, are in a ghetto and then transcend the ghetto, move out of the ghetto, was a, a particular important narrative. And in fact, it was a narrative that I've just told you about my own parents. But with the rise of Nazism, the ghetto once again was understood as a form of brutal imprisonment for a supposedly inferior race. The many hundreds of Eastern European ghettos constructed during World War II associated ghettoization at its most extreme with genocide. The many millions of Jews in Poland who resisted their cruel circumstances as much as possible were deemed a threat by the Nazis that needed containing. From the 1940s to the 1960s, the history of Nazi ghettoization informed the racial segregation of black Americans confined to poor neighbourhoods in America's northern cities since the 1920s. In the decade after World War II, African American neighbourhoods were universally discriminated against. They were the only ethno-racial group in the United States where the ghetto was not a staging point on the way to the suburbs 
and to integration, but instead a form of confinement and control, which has lasted for a century and still continues. This version of ghettoization is the main way in which we think of the ghetto today. By the time African Americans took up the idea of ghetto to represent their own severe discrimination, it could travel in several different directions. Some African Americans referred back to the original ghettos in Italy, others looked to the ethnic enclaves at the turn of the century in large cities, which were imagined as ghettos, and others still looked to the barbarity of Nazi ghettoization. What interests me especially in the book is the way that the realities of the ghetto are informed by the imagination. Today, the African-American ghetto has a wide range of cultural associations and has been globalised through hip-hop and gangster rap, African-American novels and popular films, and so-called ghetto-fabulous fashions. But the urban segregation of many poor African-Americans is still a harsh reality. Calls for the abolition of the ghetto have been at the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement and the call for social justice. This is because the ghetto is a sign that the American social order is profoundly unjust. From this perspective, structural changes are needed in welfare, housing, employment opportunities, school investment and health services, to name the most obvious causes of ghetto deprivation. After a century of racial segregation, the call for ghetto abolition in America may no longer be a revolutionary act, but an urgent necessity. Thank you.